Good morning. If you're able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his words. Our Old Testament reading today, this morning, comes from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11, page 620 in your pew Bible. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruins of cities, the devastation of many generations. Verses 8 through 11. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them the recompense and will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring of the Lord and blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and, the, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings with it its sprouts, and as garden causes what is sown, in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Our New Testament reading today is Luke 1, 46, B through 5, page 856 in your pew Bible. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his, several, his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke of our fathers to Abraham and to his offsprings forever. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we are grateful that we can come to you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the living word. Thank you that you took on flesh to help us. We ask that you would help us this morning as we, as we meditate on your word and what it is that you have said. Lord, give us hearts to obey spirits, Lord, to understand that you are glorified through our Savior and his work in us, for it's in his name we pray, 
Amen. We're in the season of Advent, preparing for the coming of the Lord, our Savior. The Advent of Christ is filled with hope. And our sermon series during the season of Advent is titled Advent Hope. And we have the hope of being helped. That was the first Sunday of Advent. The hope of being helped. Shall we be saved? Was the question that was asked. Last Sunday, we heard about hope for the heart while we are waiting for the Lord's return. Today, we have hope for healing as the coming of the Lord makes a trade. It gives beauty for ashes, gladness for mourning. Advent hope is the hope of healing. Now everyone in this world suffers pain. And that pain brings grief. Therefore, if everyone suffers pain, then everyone suffers grief. We are all suffering grief. And grief occurs in a variety of ways. It's not just, it's not just the loss of a loved one, but it can be the loss of, of anything you love. I mean, the loss of a loved one is huge. I mean, that, yeah, that, that's huge. But it, it, the loss of anything that you love. It can be a betrayal of trust. It can be that something was stolen from you. Your parents can cause you grief. There were no amens on that. <laughs> parents, you're doing a good job. <laughs> Children can bring about grief. Well, we can't go back. <laughs> Your job can cause grief. <laughs> Enemies love to give you grief. Society, culture, politics can be grief-inducing. You can cause yourself grief. No one is immune to grief. You know, as a child, I was fascinated by the sunlight streaming into the windows in the front room of our house. But the sunlight also revealed the dust that was in the air. You know, so we have better air conditioning systems now that take care of those things. You know, but you know, that, dust, that dust would be invisible except for the sunlight hitting it. Grief is like that dust. It's present all around you. You breathe it in, but you don't see it until something exposes it to you. So it's not a stretch to say that for each of us, we have long-term, deep-seated behaviors that were shaped by grief. See, grief is influencing your behavior when you talk to yourself, when you say things like, I will not let that happen to me again. Or even if it's someone else's grief that you're witnessing, that you've seen, it can cause you to change your behavior which is key to being wise. If you can see what somebody else goes through and learn from it, 
you, that, that, that's, that's, that's wisdom. And you might say, Pastor, aren't you being a, a little dark? Well, you can call this a blue Advent Christmas message, especially since Advent occurs to address our griefs. We sang about it, and it came upon a midnight clear, didn't we? See, there are probably things going on in some of your lives that's causing you to mourn, and you need to trade your ashes for the beauty of Christ. So this morning, I want us to see how the good news of the gospel enables us to not be paralyzed by grief. So we must recognize grief has power because of the seeming absence of the presence of God, but there is hope because of the person who redeems our grief, making it useful in our maturation as we become more like Christ. There could be four points, but there's only three. <laughs> yeah, see, grief, so the first point, grief has power. You know, to serve you well in your walk with Christ, to acknowledge the power of grief. So if you're asking, Pastor, where do you see that? Where do you see grief in the passage? Well, look at what the text tells us. In Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You see, those grief has the power to impoverish. It has to make poor. Grief has power to crush hearts. It has power to make captives and to keep people bound. And see, those are all terms, those Hebrew words are all terms that convey emotions and circumstances, and they're intertwined. See, people experiencing these things are under the power of grief. You say, but how do you, how do you get there, Pastor? How do you get there since the word grief is not in the text? And say, that's a good question to ask. It's a good question to ask as, as you're reading this. Because no, the word grief doesn't appear in the text. But listen to what 61.3 says. To grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. See, now in, in Hebrew, verses 1 through 4 is one long sentence. So, so the poverty, the brokenheartedness, and the captivity are all poetically restated as ashes, mourning, a faint spirit. And these are all the result of the pain of living in a fallen world. And the fallen condition causes all to experience grief. So not acknowledging, not acknowledging the power of grief, you only deceive yourself and you poison others around you. Charles Dickens in his novel, The Great Expectations, which is a great story if you've never read it, The Great Expectations, it ha has the character Miss Havisham. She was a wealthy woman. She was engaged to be married to a man who feigned to be in love with her. And she loved him back. She loved him deeply, but he was only after her property. He was no gentleman. She had a half-brother who was in on the ruse as well. 
And when she's about to get married to the man, he wrote her a letter breaking off the marriage. I mean, she's dressed, she's got her wedding gown on and everything, she's ready. And she received a letter at 20 minutes to nine, after which she stopped all the clocks in her house. She suffered a, a lengthy bad illness. And in the words of Dickens, she laid waste to the whole place, her house. And she has never since looked upon the light of day. She spends years stuck in her grief. And when Pip, he's the main character in the story, learned her story, when he's told about her, it's been 25 years. 25 years, her clock was stopped at 20 minutes to nine. She was bound. The power of grief had her paralyzed. But what is it that gives grief its power? See, what gives grief its power is that it's connected to loss. Loss reminds us that there's an absence. This is point number two. There's the seeming absence of the presence of God. See, grief gets its power because of loss, or to say it another way, the absence of presence. And I borrowed that term from Michael Card. See, when you're grieving... You feel that you're alone. You're alone in your loss. And that aloneness makes you feel cut off from other people. And you feel the coldness of the absence even more. And cold is a good description of, of, of grief. It's cold. It doesn't warm you. You know, when my parents were killed in a car accident, it was a headline in the paper with a picture of the wreckage of the car and it happened during the summer when school was out. And when school started again, I felt self-conscious about it. They all knew that my parents were killed, yet no one said anything to me about it. I felt alone. And what was worse, I didn't know God. I didn't know his love. I didn't know Christ. To me, it seemed that God was absent. You see, grief has power because we feel the absence of the presence of God. And isn't that the way you feel about loss? Doesn't, doesn't matter the size of the loss. We still feel like God's not there. He didn't show up. He wasn't there for me. And we say, he could have stopped it if he wanted to. If he loved me, why did he let that happen to me? I'm hurting. And it feels like God is not there. Where is he? Now, I know some of you are too spiritual for that kind of thinking. But David, in the Psalms, repeatedly asked for God's presence. Listen to Psalm 44, 23. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. In Psalm 42, 1 and 2, he says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He wants God's presence. He's missing God's presence. Job's example of the seeming absence of God's presence as you're grieving is even more descriptive. Listen to what he says in verse 23, Job 23, 8. 
Behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, where, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. See, in his grief, he can't seem to locate God. Michael Card, in his book, The Sacred Sorrow, he writes this about Job's experience. He said, what torments Job most is not his losses, not even the physical pain he experiences, but the fact that God's presence seems to be absent. See, in the end, Job's troubles are solved not by getting his possessions back, nor the children he lost. In the end, Job gets God back. The hopeless echo of his lament disappears as God comes dangerously and unbelievably close. Yeah, you see, the pain, of, the pain of grief is exacerbated by the seeming absence of the presence of God. But God comes dangerously and unbelievably close. Hallelujah. Did you notice that in the text? It's showing us this in Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. See, the Lord God has anointed a servant to bring good news to the poor. The Lord God has sent this servant, to bind up the brokenhearted. The Lord God has sent this, his servant to open the prison, to set the captives free. The text is telling us that God is present. He is present, and he's working for our healing. This is our third point. There's the person who redeems our grief. You see, so who is, the one? who is the one that the Lord God sends? It's not Isaiah. Some people believe that that's, that's, who's, that's who the text is referring to. But it's not Isaiah. He doesn't fit the bill. See, the, the person is like God. If, if the Lord God sent him, he must have been there with the Lord God in the beginning. He shared God's plan. He shared God's vision. He shared God's purpose. In verse 2, it says, so says this of the servant of the Lord, he sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. See, the year of the Lord's favor is a time of grace. It's a time of goodwill and acceptance. But he's also, this servant is also empowered to make the trade of a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Ashes means nothing. So you have, you have nothing. Here he's giving you riches. He trades the oil of gladness instead of mourning. He trades the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And in Isaiah 61, 10 and 11, you see he's like God in giving righteousness and handing out justice. Look at, listen to it. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom 
decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. See, he's like God. God alone gives righteousness. God alone enacts justice. And the servant of the Lord has that power. He has that power to reverse the curse. You see, the one who fits that description is the one whom Mary sings about in her song in Luke chapter 1. In verse 49, she said, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. You see, Mary knew that God had chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah, the servant that Isaiah had prophesied about. See, Jesus, he's God. He is that person who redeems our grief. Now, the good question to ask is how? 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 How does he redeem our grief? How does he reverse the curse? Listen to Mary's song in verse 51 through 55. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And as Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, remember in Luke chapter 4, after he comes out of the wilderness, he goes to the synagogue, and in his ministry, he applies Isaiah 61 to himself. After he read, after he read the scroll and everyone's looking at him, he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's about him. See, Jesus removes the curse. Hallelujah. You know, so the curse, the curse, Genesis 1, yeah, the, well, not Genesis 1, but Genesis 3, where God, after the fall, you know, the curse has everything backward. Everything is, is, is mixed up, but Jesus removes the curse. He reverses the curse. The curse, with the curse, the curse allowed bad people sometimes get good things in this world. While the poor, the brokenhearted, and, and those who are, are spiritually bound get evil things. Doesn't that cause grief? But Jesus changes all that. Hallelujah. He redeems their grief. See, and that's good news this morning. See, yeah, see, the, the gospel is good news for the grieving. Hallelujah. I think somebody ought to say amen. See, see how, does, how does Jesus redeem their grief? By becoming one of us. He became one of us so he could suffer for us. This is what Isaiah 53, verse 3 and f through 5 says. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we 
are healed. Do you see, do you see how he redeems our grief? His grief is our healing. He took our pain so we could have his healing. He bore our sorrows so we could have his joy. He died our death so we could have his life. Christ's resurrection is the ultimate removal of our griefs. Hallelujah. He told two grieving sisters standing at the graveside of their brother, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, that's the question as you're grieving. Do you believe this about who Jesus is? So, have you let your, stop, your, 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 your clock stop because of grief like Miss Havisham? Have you memorialized your grief by being paralyzed in it? See, Christ is trading his joy for your sorrow. He's trading his righteousness for your sins. The power of grief is right now being redeemed as you take the grace offered in Jesus Christ. You see, the presence of God has come unbelievably close in Jesus. And Jesus took the danger. Hallelujah. He's redeeming your grief right now. George Herbert in his poem, The Sacrifice, it's a long poem if you ever, if you ever read it, but it, but it is really good. He, the Sacrifice, he reminds us that no one has grieved like Jesus. Shame tears my soul, my body, many a wound. Sharp nails pierce this, but sharper that confound. Reproaches which are free, while I am bound. Was ever grief like mine? Now heal thyself, physician, now come down. Alas, I did so when I left my crown and father's smile for you to fill his frown was ever grief like mine. In healing not myself, there doth consist all that salvation which ye now resist. Your safety in my sickness doth subsist was ever grief like mine. Oh, all you who pass by, behold and see, man stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree, the tree of life to all, but only me was ever grief like mine. Friends, Jesus chases our griefs away. Inside your order of worship, there's a piece of paper. And uh, I hope you didn't throw it away. Yes, yes, it, it, there, there's nothing written on it. But, it, it, but it's, a piece, it's a piece of paper. And I, I, what I want you to do is to take the paper, write down what it is that you are grieving. And so the ushers are going to come, and they're going to take up your offering. 
that piece of paper, what, you, what you've written down. They're going to they're take it up and, and they're going to put it in the picture, that picture of, of water. And, and then they're going to take that water and they're going to bring it and, and they're going to pour it in the bucket that's up here. See, some of you were wondering why that bucket was up here. Yeah. So, so they're going to take that. See, and what this paper does, as you write your grief on it, and the, as the paper goes into the water, the paper dissolves. And it, and it disappears just, just as one day all our griefs will disappear when Jesus comes and renews everything. So we're going to sing Joy to the World. And as we're singing, that, you know, that's when the ushers will come and you'll, you'll give them your, your paper. And after the song, we will pray for and as we give our griefs to the Lord. I know it's a different kind of ending to a sermon. But if we're all grieving, if we all grieve, and we do, there is something. Giving your grief to the Lord is the absolute right thing to do. If Jesus bore our griefs and sorrows, then yes. You don't have to carry the weight of that any longer. Let him do it.